At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations. Coming up this hour, the CEOs of McDonald's, Dow and ServiceNow, as stocks do look to give back some of Wednesday's gains on this final day of April. Uh, futures down 200. Weekly jobless claims 3.84 million. That's a total of 30 million in the last six weeks. Oil is up on some reports that we could see some industry relief policy announced today. But, uh, Jim, the real story is surrounding uh, big tech earnings like Microsoft and Facebook and even our own parent uh, Comcast and Qualcomm. Right. It looks like some of these companies were basically created for this moment. If you didn't know, uh, the Microsoft quarter was was just a thing of, uh, of beauty. And a lot of that is because they'll have a product like Teams or a product like Azure that are just incredibly strong. LinkedIn doing very, very well. Uh, Facebook order was good. And then, boom, they said that April is uh, stabilization. One of the themes that we're seeing in tech uh, or you have service now. We're, we're going to have Bill McDermott later today. They had a, an unbelievable quarter, maybe uh, the best in the history of the company. So you're seeing companies that, that, frankly, not only do not have to make any excuses, but are saying good things. And, you know, Qualcomm, I'll just say secular trend, 5G. Uh, and then high-speed Internet is one of the most lucrative parts of Comcast. Yes, of course, theme parks not going to happen. But theme parks will open up again. But high-speed, it will never go back. You don't switch to low-speed. So just even though the futures are indicating down, this was the best night for corporate earnings since the uh, season began. Um. And, Jim, you know, it's funny. You never go back is what you say. And Mm -hmm. it does appear when you look at Facebook or you look at Alphabet or you look at Microsoft, this is pulling forward trends that were already underway. Amazon, of course, is another example of that. And so it becomes very difficult, I would think, for for investors to really consider selling these companies that are able to play offense in an environment where so many companies are on the defensive. They're trying to protect their balance sheet. They're just worried about their very existence. These companies are still seeing significant increases in sales and are able to play offense. Yes, they're pulling back a bit. Facebook cut CapEx, at least for this year, to a range of 14 to 16 billion. So that was about 2 billion less, although they say they'll redeploy the, the additional in 2021. But it is just this interesting time. And of course, we talk so often about the broader market. It is led by these names. In fact, it is dominated right now by these large cap names that we talk so often about. Right. They're, they're much more nimble than we think. For, the last, for most of the days of this week, uh, the story was, here's some companies that aren't going under. The cruise ships aren't going under. The airlines, Apache, uh, uh, the Southwest deal. The uh, oils, Apache, doubles very quickly. Halliburton doubles. Uh, we're all trying to figure out what a Nordstrom's worth. There's a note today saying, hey, listen, don't worry. The liquidity concerns aren't as bad as you think. That had been the theme of earlier this week, which is that we had too many bankruptcies. We had a lot we seem to have a big short squeeze last night. I wanted to ask you, David, what, are there some firms that were uh, hedge funds that were very short a lot of these names that do bad and badly in a pandemic and had to cover last night? Did someone blow up? It did, I don't know the answer, but it did feel like that. Of course, I was looking at some of the, the old media names that I tend to focus on. And you saw the moves yesterday. There was no real explanation for that other than perhaps short covering, given the beating that many of them have taken, Jim. I don't know is the answer to the question as to whether somebody blew up. But there certainly did appear to be a large amount of short covering late in the day yesterday. Yeah, in particular. You see a Royal Caribbean up, up five and you see a, every single oil company just you know, hitting the light, hit, hitting out of the park, even though they say Royal Dutch first time since World War Two cut the dividend. And I'll tell you, Carl, one of the things that I've seen uh, this week is a recognition that perhaps we we trough. Now, I know the number we hit this morning, employment, isn't a trough number. I mean, it just looks like there's the trend lines down. But we've seen a number of companies that in one way or another are saying the worst is over. And I know that that seems to be mm-hmm. antithetical for a lot of people at home. But that has been the theme. <clears throat> 
It's a good point, Jim. Uh, Macy's is one good example, opening 68 stores on Monday. Uh, we're going to hear from Jeff Gannett later on this morning. He does admit we don't know how customers are going to respond to that. Some of these stores might be looking at traffic that's one-fifth of normal, but they're going to plow ahead on that anyway. And to your point about um, you know changes in operating leverage as these companies raise cash and lower costs is right behind this upgrade of uh, Southwest today out of Stiefel. Uh, which argues in their mind that they're going to come out of this stronger to their peers on a relative basis, despite everything we know about how long it's going to take traffic to come back. That deal, if you got in on that deal, the equity deal, wow. And I think there are going to be others. I think a lot of people are debating whether Boeing is going to do an equity deal or not, or just do straight loan. But uh, the secondary, so to speak, have been great places to be. So I think we have to keep our eyes open. If you're at home, keep your eyes open for when these companies want to get liquid and remember the Carnival deal at eight. And go look at the Carnival Cruise bookings. Uh, They're good. And look at the deals. If you think there's a vaccine, okay, if you think there's a vaccine, it's an interesting call on travel. And I think some people are starting to get a little sense of the idea after the remdesivir yesterday. You know what? Maybe a year from now, uh, life will be a, uh, not great, but better than it is. So let's book some things uh, because it, it could be, uh, let's just say, a more halcyon time. Not necessarily a great time, but more halcyon. Yeah. I, yeah. It does, I, mean, I, I do want to ask you, Jim, because we talked a lot about remdesivir yesterday, obviously, for, right. for all the news. But now Fauci on the Today Show this morning talking both about uh, the treatment and this so-called Operation Warp Speed, where they are looking to fast-track development of a vaccine and manufacturing of the vaccine, even though we, we won't know the efficacy for quite a while. In Fauci's view, this is sort of worth the cost, given the ongoing damage to the economy. And it's right in that Bill Gates school of thought that there's going to be some lost uh, investment, but you'll make it up uh, in, uh, in GDP, essentially. Well, you go back, there's some great... Uh uh, books and articles written by doctors in the Vietnam War. And in it, they said they used a lot of uh, non-protocol things to be able to stem what they said were going to be certain death. And things that, that no doctor would ever prove of in the United States. Uh, certainly not the, the uh, let's say, the backbenchers who would say, you can't do that. That's not the protocol. Well, Dr. Fauci recognizes we're at war. He used the magic letters. He said, this is like AZT. Um, these backbenchers, particularly many of the people whom I think are just thinking that this is just some sort of like Ah, you know, like we'll get to it when we get to it. Don't realize that there's a global war against this. Fauci does. And Fauci recognizes sometimes you got to break the rules when the world's ending, at least when you could have social unrest on a scale that is not seen since the 30s. And I really appreciate what Dr. Fauci's doing, which is saying, listen, I've been very negative, but we have something to build on here. It's the beginning of the cocktail. Regeneron could be added to the cocktail. Meg Trail's had fantastic stuff on this. We've got to start recognizing it is wartime. And the people who are in the clinics and uh, the professors, I think it's time for them to start realizing it is a war. It is not peace. Well, Jim, on that note, I think uh, it's appropriate to bring in our first guest of many this morning, of course, who does have a view of the world economy and where things stand right now. He's Jim Fitterling, the chairman and CEO of Dow, the company reporting earnings this morning, just concluded its conference call. Nice to have you with us, Jim. Um, Good morning, David. Let me just start off. Good morning. Let me start off with a broad question here. Given your viewpoint and your geography, of course, which is quite uh, expansive. What are you seeing right now around the world? Sort of give me a quick take in terms of is China come back quickly, Europe, the U.S.? What are you seeing? Yeah, so David, we saw at the end of March and through the month of April, China beginning to rebound. The industrial sector, automotive appliances are coming back. I would not say they're 100 percent yet, but they're in the 70 to 80 percent back range the consumer demand downstream is a little bit uneven, but it is starting to come back. Traffic is back on the roads and cars, which is a sign, I think, that we're going to see here, too. People feeling safer about taking cars than public transit. And in our offices and our labs, we're back to uh, full strength. They're obviously taking a lot of distancing, PPE precautions, and uh, you know, grab-and-go food service at, at our locations there. We're starting to see that in Europe uh, in the month of May. I think we're going to see the auto industry come back. Germany, Austria, Switzerland uh, seem to be leading the way and coming back uh, in Europe. 
And we're starting to see states in the United States that have a significant impact on GDP, such as Michigan, uh, starting to open up construction. And I think automotive is going to open up in mid-May. So it is rolling through. Uh, obviously, uh, the curve's getting flatter, but it isn't uh, declining yet. So everybody's being cautious, but going back in a safe way. Yeah. Uh, uh Oil demand, of course, very important part overall in terms of your business. Uh, you know, and I, I realize on the call you said you're not predicting yet in terms of oil demand coming back fully for, for the future here. Um, but what are your expectations? You've talked already to us in the past and others about how you've positioned the company to be ready for these lower oil prices to extend for some time. Well, one of the things that we do, so we don't just crack oil derivatives, we crack a lot of natural gas liquids as well, but we have a lot of flexibility in our capacity. So we can move on the feedstock based on what's the lowest cost. And, and oil obviously has come down a lot and brought naphtha costs down with it. But ethane and propane uh, in the U.S. Gulf Coast are still the cheapest crack, and that's what we're continuing to crack today. Our flexibility allows us, if ethane gets tight, to move as much as 70% of propane, um, and we can move to naphtha if naphtha is advantage. One of the problems right now, though, is with uh, derivatives uh, of naphtha, uh, C4s, butadiene into rubber, and the auto industry being very slow, there's no place for those byproducts. So what everybody's doing is really trying to balance uh, rates and operating rates with demand until we see the demand signal that people are getting back to work and that the demand is coming back. So I think we'll, we'll navigate through it. Uh, I do think we will get back onto an oil uh, consumption trajectory that was like it was pre-COVID. The question is just how long does it take us to get there? Right, which, of course, is a key question. Now, you're preparing for that. You've talked about having as much as $12 billion in liquidity. You're also cutting CapEx. This has been a theme for companies, at least some of them, that we've been talking to by, I think, $750 million year over year. Why is that the right number, Jim? Well, we're preserving our CapEx to keep the plants running safely and reliably and our downstream derivatives that are keeping up with the consumer demand that's strong. So in our industrial solutions business, which goes into a lot of consumer applications like soaps and detergents and uh, cleaning materials that are very strong. We're continuing to expand there. Silicones downstream goes into a lot of those formulations as well, as well as other things that help you make masks and gloves and other types of materials that are going to see strong demand. So we'll keep those projects going. But where we see the slowdown in, in the big industry, we'll push those projects out. And, and we'll come back to that growth playbook when we start to see things get back to more normal pre-COVID levels. So $750 million allows us to do the maintenance and keep our high-value projects going, and then we can defer the rest into next year or beyond when we see that demand come back. $350 million of expense is largely discretionary expense. As you can imagine, almost zero travel going on right now. Uh, people are working from home. A lot of reduced expenses in operating facilities that we don't have people in today. So that's how we're getting to those numbers. Jim, you've been adamant that the dividend is safe, came on mad money, said it's safe. Uh, this, this morning, World Dutch Shell cut its dividend for the first time since World War II. Uh, you've got enough oil exposure. Should we be concerned that if a Royal Dutch cuts it, Dow could cut it? Well, oil has dropped 60%, Jim, in, in the quarter, and uh, that, that's a dramatic drop. And so the cash pressures there are very different. Uh, our, our prices dropped 10% in the first quarter, and we had pockets of very strong demand and good pricing in the quarter, too. So we have a more consumer-oriented downstream slate. And so to some extent, the lower oil costs help us because it's an input cost for us. We've gone through all of our cash and liquidity scenarios today. We have $12 billion of liquidity. Uh, we have $3.6 billion of cash on hand. Uh, we have $8 billion of, of committed lines that have been untapped. And so we've got several scenarios, um, including our worst-case scenario that say we'll be able to support that dividend through the year. Operating reliably, supporting the dividend, and then any excess cash using to pay down debt. Those are our top three priorities, and that'll be what we'll focus on for the rest of the year. 
All right, Jim, you came on Mad Money when the stock was 26. You made a, a big buy of stock. Most people didn't believe. You, were, of course, were right. Uh, I want to send your stock back to 50, and I'm going to do it very quickly. I'm going to say, given your cash position, it's time to shut the $100 a barrel make, makes money Kuwait Sadar project. Bite the bullet. Enough is enough. We'd like to see $100 a barrel again, but more realistically, we'd like to see uh, a treatment and a vaccine for this COVID virus so that people would be more certain about going back to work and we'd be operating in an environment with a lot less fear. Um, We're working safely. We're sharing those best practices with governments around the world. We think it is safe to go back to work and and we're going to start to demonstrate that. And so that's are really our first priority, the health and safety of everyone. Uh, Jim, why do you think it's safe to go back to work? Well, we're today we're operating with 14,000 people in our plants. We were deemed essential by the governments around the world because we supply so many materials that are in need today. Uh, we have 14,000 people going into work every day to keep product moving. They're doing it in a safe way. They're wearing PPE. They're distancing, they're practicing good sanitation, good hygiene. And one of the most important things is we're screening when people come to work. So when you come into one of the gates at Dow or into an office building, the security guard will ask you several questions about how you feel, who you've been in contact with, uh, have you been outside the country, have you been exposed to anybody? And then they'll take your temperature. And what we found is that we can screen people and keep people from coming into work if they're not well. And then we can also make sure that they get tested and they get treatment. If someone has to stay home, uh, we ask them to stay home for 14 days or until they pass the criteria to come back to work. And we continue to pay them through that time. Uh, This could happen to anybody. and, And we need to make sure our practices reflect that in the way we treat people. Okay, so you're an early actor here in terms of sort of putting in place those kinds of uh, procedures you just discussed. How long do you think it's going to take the rest of the world to uh, to do what you're doing and to really get people back to work? I think they're going to come in gradually. What we've seen is that typically when people go back, they'll go back maybe with uh, 20, 25 percent of their workforce, uh, wait a few weeks, get accustomed to how that's working, make sure there's no spike in in any amounts of cases, and then bring the next wave in. Uh, We're focusing mostly on getting back into the plants uh, and and into the labs. So we've got 14,000 people coming in every day, but we we have more that can come into the sites. And then when we get spaces where they're tighter, like offices, that'll probably come later. And so we want to make sure that we we're taking care of the basic functions and the people that are working effectively from home can continue to do that. We're sharing those with governors and with task forces uh, at the federal and the state level, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. And we're giving them really um, good, uh, almost OSHA quality types of practices that we use that they can put into their uh, practices for other industries. And we share them widely with customers, too. All right. A roadmap for uh, for reopening. Uh, Jim, appreciate your taking some time. Thank you. Jim Fitterling, chairman and CEO of Dow. You guys stay safe. Thank you. Dow futures down about uh, 300 here. When we come back, we'll talk exclusively to the CEO of McDonald's, Chris Kemchinski, about the quarter, about comps, recovery in China and Europe, liquidity and a lot more. So don't go away. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. 
One trading day left in the month of April, uh, still on track for the best month since 87 for the Dow, 74 for the S&P as we watch the ECB claims earnings with uh, Amazon, Apple and Visa on deck tonight. We're back in a moment. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back. Got an opening bell about six minutes from now. Let's squeeze in a mad dash. Costco is the name that Jim's focused on. Effective May 4th, you got to wear a mask if you go to Costco. Now, Costco, two things you need to know. One, the most lucrative retailer in history. Two, the most progressive, certainly for its employees, but also for its members. Costco employees required to wear face coverings, and now we are asking that Costco members do so too. We know some members may find this inconvenient or objectionable, but under the circumstances, we believe the added safety is worth any convenience. If anybody thinks that it's not safe, they've got the wrap. They tell you it is. You need it. There's no more personal choice involved. I think this will be the standard of care two weeks from now. I think they're always forward. I think that you and I, David, will not go anywhere without a mask. I know you already don't. Um, I think that we'll be wearing them, and the only time we'll take them off is when we're on air. Uh, I think that everybody walking around here or any other place that's not wearing a mask is going to be considered a health hazard, and that Costco is setting the standard, not the U.S. government. That's not unusual. They've done it before. They're doing it now. Well, in fact, you could argue in many ways when we look back at this crisis, it will be corporate America that actually was taking the lead, that was executing in certain ways far better than our government has been able to, Jim. Although the, I, the prospect of wearing a mask everywhere you go, how long are we going to be doing that for? Until we stop killing people. Because remember, what this is about is protecting others, not yourself. It was just yourself. I understand you have every right to be able to be selfish <laughs> about yourself. This is about being selfish about others. Costco is worried about others, not themselves. I know it'll be, con- be considered a violation of all your civil liberties, the things I just said. I really don't care. Because this is about a national health emergency. And we got until we get this thing under control, we can't have the vice president of the United States go to the Mayo Clinic without a mask because that sets an example of recklessness. That's not a seatbelt. I don't mind saying it. What are you going to come after me? I mean, we really have to. You know, he's the head of the task force. This is the type of thing where Costco is the leader. And we'll look back and we'll say the people who uh, chose to be, uh, let's say, civil libertarians about a mask were people who were reckless, not to themselves, but to others. And I'm very serious about this, David. Costco is going to be right. Oh, by the way, the others who don't do it, you're going to get sued and you're going to lose a lot of money because the judiciary is going to find against you in a class action suit and you'll just have to pay a lot of money. So even if you think that it's that it's wrong, violation of civil liberties, once the federal courts get involved, you'll say, why didn't you listen to Kramer? Why did you listen to Costco? I'm not fooling around. Mass. Interesting. Mass. Masks. Have right. them. Well, Elon Musk might have, have them. Elon Musk might uh, disagree to a certain extent, Carl. It was interesting listening to the Tesla conference call and his views in terms of the, the lockdown, so to speak, versus Mark Zuckerberg, who did not paint a particularly positive picture, at least for the near term, in terms of his expectations of the virus. Yeah. Uh, as Musk said, uh, this is fascist. Uh, this is uh, not uh, democratic. This isn't freedom. Even though, uh, guys, the question had nothing to do with policy or uh, our response to the epidemic. The question was about you and liquidity. If you missed what Musk said on the call last night, uh, take a listen. The extension of the shelter in place, uh, or frankly, I would call it forcibly imprisoning people in their homes uh, against all their constitutional rights, that's my opinion, and breaking people's freedoms in ways that are horrible and, and wrong. 
uh, and not why people came to America or built this country. What the f***? Excuse me. Um, people, I, the outrage. It's an outrage. Um, so. Mm-hmm. All right, so Jim, uh, big debate this morning about whether or not this was uh, a legitimate view. Well, I'll tell you what. It, I'll tell you what it was. It was a darn good quarter. And I think when you compare Ford to what Tesla's doing, you'll recognize that Tesla is crushing it. They don't need to, any advertising. The Y is doing incredibly well. Uh, the man is certainly, he's certainly uh, entitled to his own views. Uh, remember, though, I think that what's going to happen is a standard. Of care. I don't want Elon Musk to be sued by employees because he recommended a course that is going to be out of sync with one day what the federal government does. I love the fact that Elon Musk has got separate views. Uh, he's got views which talk about the idea that we should be allowed to be put to work, something I completely agree with. Uh, fascism, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I, I don't think Steve Bannon, an excellent interview this morning, would choose the word fascist. We tend to limit that to certain people. I don't know, David, I find fascist to be a, a bit of extreme, but Elon can be an extremist. Yeah. No, he can't. And maybe utilitarianism. Maybe we yeah. want to talk a little about John Stuart John, Mill. Or John good for the greatest number. Although, although that is still in gen, uh, it, it creates a debate, Jim, because frankly, what is the greatest good for the greatest number when you shut the economy down? Is there going to be more suffering ultimately as a result of that than there will be from the virus? This is that balance that we've been watching play out as our viewers hear the opening bell on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, as well, of course, we get that shot of uh, Times Square for the NASDAQ as we open the final trading day of the month in the red, Jim, right now after what has been a furious rally overall. Uh, Locking in some month. gains, David. I mean, Jesus was the greatest. What, were you comparing this to 1974? Uh, downfall of Nixon. By the way, Nixon created OSHA, and then the president got rid of OSHA. Oh, I'm sorry. There's, there still is an OSHA. Um, what are they doing? What does OSHA do? Yeah, he also he Ocean? also created the uh, uh, Environmental Protection Agency. They, they <laughs> Water, air. That too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny things. Remember when they mattered, David? Hey, you know what? The one thing that's interesting about this period, David, is the, you can see the air and the water's cleaner. Um, and the earth seems to be uh, getting a little revenge. But these were really good agencies that both parties embraced for years. And uh, Reagan liked and I've always felt that Reagan's very true to the cause. So I find it interesting that OSHA's been denuded at a time when you go to a meat pot packing uh, and processing plant. And the reason why it was created, uh, why OSHA was created, is to be able to make it so that people didn't get ill. Um, you know, uh, Upton Sinclair. I mean, these are all things that are the tradition of America that are being uh, rolled back. And, and I, I am at times surprised because these are hard right wing Republican Goldwater views, Nixon views that are being uh, rolled back. And I don't know, uh, as someone who uh, found that President Nixon was pretty good on these issues, it's interesting to see. He must be, must be appalled that you could have these Tyson food plants where people are just dropping like flies. And the answer is get tough. Yeah. Well, there has been a significant change in the Republican Party over the last 40 to 50 years, yeah. I think it's safe to say, in terms of terms of the focus there. Lord John uh, Russell. Jim, had a as good for program. our. Right. Yeah, as Quick. for our focus, I'll bring mm-hmm. it back to stocks with you. You know, we didn't really talk that much about the Facebook quarter. We mentioned it briefly at the top of the show, along with Microsoft, of course, as well. Both of which are up. Facebook, though, the better performer, up over six percent. Let's talk a bit more about that quarter, Jim. You know, you like to rate their conference calls. I would assume you give it a pretty high rating. We're still talking about a company who's, uh, or a stock whose uh, P.E. is in the low 20s at this point. Yeah, they still the hired 3,300 employees. And to your point, and we heard it a little bit from Ruth Porat yesterday at Alphabet, which, by the way, bought back $8.5 billion worth of stock during right. the quarter, something we didn't mention. But they, they gave even more voice to it, which is, March, end of March like this, and then April, things started to come back, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. Um, There's just uh, the one, this stock was kind of just in a holding pattern that was up until the CFO said, we have seen signs of stability reflected in the first three weeks of April. And that was it, up 30 points. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, for anyone who reads this, 
you start thinking, was this the Mark Zuckerberg that Congress was after? Was this the Mark Zuckerberg that uh, that both parties seem to be against? This 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 was a, a very thoughtful, uh, very good analysis of trying to stay in touch with each other and becoming a medium uh, in a time of isolation that really works for people. And that this was one of those examples we mentioned, Carl, earlier of what companies are seeing stabilization and things come back uh, when we thought would be hurt very badly because of advertising turned down. Well, Facebook is probably exhibit A. This, this is a really, really good quarter. And you come back and you say, you know what, maybe this is what the company was meant to be. Uh, not a controversial company, but a company that was a uniter. Maybe it took COVID to be able to get its true form. What a Pollyanna I've become. Jeez. I don't know. Chai comps. It certainly did show. It certainly did show the resilience of their model at this Didn't point. It? We had focused and we had focused in part, of course, on Alphabet, on Facebook, wondering what their advertising would look like. Uh, they did suffer. But it, it appears not nearly as much. Uh, Carl, a company that is perhaps suffering more, of course, is our own parent company, Comcast. Uh, the stock is down 6%. Um, they uh, added a, a very strong number of, uh, of broadband subs, but 388,000 fewer video subs. That was, I think, more than had been anticipated, disconnected. It's getting very close. Video revenues to uh, to broadband revenues are, are coming very close to each other now during the course of the quarter. But it's advertising. Uh, it's lack of sports programming at Sky. It's the closure of the theme parks uh, in Japan initially and, of course, here in the U.S. That certainly did hit the quarter overall, uh, Carl. Yeah, uh, some of the reporting on the conference call on which uh, Brian Roberts, I guess, spent a little more time than usual. Some of the headlines, uh, the Peacock streaming service uh, pacing ahead of expectations. As Roberts said, there's no doubt our theme parks will reopen. And added, uh, Jim, that he's heartened by what we're seeing in China, where uh, Comcast is building a new park. Uh, Workers are back on site uh, doing construction. We expect to be open on time and on budget in 2021. So it kind of feeds... What we've been sort of threading together over the past few days is that if you're in manufacturing or construction, um, you're going to get back to work faster than maybe if you're in some sort of, some kind of retail business. Right. And, and I think one of the big themes of this quarter that we haven't put together is that there was a handoff of the baton. Your first month was bad in China. The, the middle of, uh, of the next month was bad in China. And then, boom, China turned around for you uh, because China's in uh, very good shape. And I know that uh, that Steve Bannon may, may be upset about that, and I don't blame him one bit. But the fact is, is that if you look at what's happened in China for every single business, you, you saw that it was a really great month. No, look no further than Kevin Johnson last, uh, yesterday when he talked about Starbucks. Uh, he's building new stores all over China. And I think that a young China did very well. So uh, anybody who's got some Chinese exposure, well, it turns out to be that they are the winners. Well, we're going to talk to McDonald's in a moment uh, about China specifically, where 100 percent of stores, uh, David, are now open. But uh, at least on the conference call, the commentary is that the traffic itself has been subdued. Now, granted, in the U.S., it might be a slightly different picture given the effect of drive through, which is a big factor in the U.S., but uh, that's going to be a question. Yeah, and one we will certainly explore with him. I thought it was interesting listening to Kevin Johnson yesterday in terms of what they're seeing in China and what their expectations here are. Also, in particular, how much monitoring they were doing. You know, again, listening to Fitterling in terms of the roadmap he's laying out for how his 14,000 employees are going to work every day. Listening yesterday to Kevin Johnson in terms of the monitoring they're doing at Starbucks with the local communities to understand the spread. Very uh Fascinating to, to see these business leaders in terms of how they are going about doing their uh, doing their work. All right. You know what? Speaking of uh, fascinating about who's bringing in work and who's doing incredibly well, there's a company that, frankly, if you didn't know any better, there is no pandemic. The, the numbers are this strong. It's service now. Uh, and we've got to talk about this because it is uh, an amazing moment for a company that has been doing well for a long time. But now it's doing even better. So let's bring in Bill McDermott for a CNB exclusive. Bill, how have you been? I've been well, Jim. Good morning. And 
warmest wishes to you and all the viewers for health and safety at this tough time. How you been? All right. Well, Bill, I got to tell you, when I read your quarter, I said to myself, you know, I have loved your company for ages. Uh, but I, I there is this is your best quarter in history. How is it possible when everyone is saying, you know what? Look, we're not doing as badly as you thought. And we're still holding it together that that service now its best quarter in history. Well, thank you very much, Tim. We're humbled uh, that we were able to help our customers out. You know, we had 11,000 employees work seamlessly from home. Uh, we were one of the first companies to do that because we're already digitally transformed. But as you know, many other companies are in the midst of digital transformation. There'll be $7.4 trillion invested in digital transformation in the next three years. And the company that's in the center of it all is ServiceNow. Uh, that's because we are the workflow engine of the 21st century economy. If you think about web, mobile, um, social conversation tools, they all integrate into the ServiceNow workflow platform, as does all the large systems of record in major enterprises. We make that workflow to create great experiences for employees and customers, and it's never been more important than it is right now. Look, I know you're a total team player, and you always do that. I know members of your team who, uh, they're worshipful, but you, would ne- you don't like that, but that's the way they are. And one of the reasons they are is because you said that you bought a Rolodex uh, that would be uh, from SAP that would be uh, second to none. Uh, is that why you were up 48% year over year in million-dollar deals, 37 of them? Well, the team did a great job, Jim. Our customers really need us now. I mean, just think about the complexity of the work-from-home scenario for many businesses. Um, What they now need to do, just think of a simple thing like Accenture having 500,000 employees. How do you get the tools to them, like phones or computers, as they work from home and set up home offices in an instant? You have supply chains involved. You have manufacturers involved. You have legal involved, HR involved, finance involved. All these functions have to come together and use a workflow workhorse to pull this off. So I would just say that our customers are the real heroes here. Our teammates really worked hard throughout uh, 24 by 7 to deliver. We had one scenario, Lowe's, for example, in the heart of the crisis, They wanted to put up essentially a control tower to take care of their people. And, you know, over 300,000 people were on the ServiceNow workflow platform in less than 96 hours to get the job done. So, yeah, we did more than uh, 37 deals over a million. We now have uh, 933 uh, customers with a million or more average contract value per annum. And frankly, uh, the company stays hungry. We stay humble. We stay customer focused. And I think that's going to help us go all the way. Well, Bill, I think obviously Marvin Ellison is uh, great here at us and what he's doing. He's, he's, he's digitizing a firm that wasn't digitized. Now, here's a firm that I think needs to save every penny, Chevron. And they bring you yeah. in. What's the ROI of when you bring in uh, ServiceNow? It's so amazing. This is the big idea. Any ROI with ServiceNow will give you a payback of at least five times the amount you invest in ServiceNow in any given year. So you'll usually see a payback for ServiceNow in less than six months, and you'll always see one at least in the first year of greater than 5x anything that you pay to ServiceNow. The CEOs I talk to out there, and I do every day, They're focused on protecting their revenue. It's not so much growing right now. It's protecting it. Business continuity, keeping the operations going, and driving productivity. But they all want a fast time-to-value scenario, and that's what we do. We innovate, change business models, and do it swiftly. We're talking hours, days, a couple of weeks, not years. Man, nobody can sell like you, Bill. Um, but on that subject of on that subject of selling, you know, forward bookings is certainly one way investors try to value your your company. Your sales guys, I would think, typically like to go face to face with a CTO, whoever is making the decisions in terms of buying your services. What are they doing now? Are, are they are they just doing it all virtually, and is it working? 
This is a, a really important question, Carl. Here, here's the situation. People were concerned initially. How can... Oh, that's David. Sorry, I, I, um, I'm talking into a monitor, just so you know. I can't see anything. David, how are you, my friend? I'm so, good, thanks. So here's the situation. Great to be with you again. Here's the situation. Um, everybody thought, well, if you have a direct sales motion, it's going to be more difficult in times like this to serve your customers. And just the opposite is true. Think about every CEO who is home right now looking for a good meeting. Think about the management teams who are home right now looking for a good meeting. So we're using Zoom and other technologies to bring virtual executive briefing center meetings together, and we can do it at a much higher volume than before. And now we do all the outside-in analysis for a company in their industry by solution, by persona, and we compose a solution that is really geared for them. They can make a fast decision, and they can do it virtually. All the paperwork is done digitally, and it's done and dusted. Here's another example. We had an event where we were going to bring 25,000 people together in Orlando. That's our knowledge event, biggest event. We do it once a year. 25,000 people. And we thought, wow, we've got to move it to digital now. And what's that going to look like? We already have 50,000 people registered. We expect to have 100,000 people registered. That's a 4x improvement on the attendees for our knowledge event. So I think we're going to learn something from this. People are going to get much more comfortable working in a virtual world. This social distancing is not going to go away anytime soon. And companies that aren't already digitally transformed and able to pull this off, they have a burning platform now. They have to lean into this. Also, on the talent management side, talented people are going to expect companies to allow them to work from home and anywhere, not just for their personal wellness, but also for productivity reasons. This is a big idea for the modern economy. Bill McDermott, ServiceNow, fantastic job. Always great to see you. Hey, Jim, Dave, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Carl, back to you. Uh, Dow's down 350 here. Let's get a check on uh, the bond market with Rick Santelli. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Carl. We have breaking news. If you look at Chicago PMI, just released for April, comes in at 35.4. That is a bit less than expected, but it's hard to calibrate numbers during this unique time period in our economic history. That number happens to be the lowest level since March of 2009. Let's go to the charts. We know that the ECB and Christine Lagarde uh, have had their meeting, press conference probably ongoing. Uh, what's the takeaway? Not significant changes. And maybe the biggest issue of all there is, will there be a Eurobond coming? Will they up uh, uh, size some of the relief they're putting forth con- right now sitting at 750 billion euros? Everybody says yes, but the Eurobond is the definitive issue for the day. Let's look at our markets, considering the data, initial jobless claims, of course, coming in at 3.839 million. If you look at an intraday of 10s, you could see we briefly traded under 60 basis points. I know that uh, most analysts out there, especially after yesterday's Fed meeting, are all looking for yields to go up. There's deleveraging going on in hedge funds. It all seems like it, it should be conventional wisdom. And who wouldn't agree? I agree. But at least for the here and now, looking at technicals, it still feels as though we're going to test the all-time low yield close of 54 basis points, of course, and that was on March 9th. If we look at what's going on in Boone's, they briefly traded as low a yield as minus 56. But actually, the stability of the Boone right now is rather impressive. Most are we're expecting Christine Lagarde not to really um, view or veer too much out of her lane. And if you look at the euro versus the dollar, the same scenario presents itself there. Uh, here we are getting down to 108-ish and finding some support. Also very steady for the most part. Dollar index doing just a smidge better. The talk of the town is Boeing's seven-part deal. Remember, they're on the low rungs of investment grade with all the major rating indices. Uh, My source tells me that these uh, seven tranches could bring interest in the 15, maybe as high as 20 billion camp. And and even though it's investment grade, you know, the spreads, especially on sevens, tens, twenties, thirties, and forties, are a little rich at 550 over. They might come down a bit. Uh, Carl, Jim, and David, back to you. All right. Uh, we do want to touch on that uh, Boeing deal with Jim in a few moments. Uh, Rick, thank you. Uh, first, though, fresh off the conference call this morning is the CEO of McDonald's, Chris Kemchinski. Uh, Chris, welcome back. It's good to have you, as always. 
Yeah, thank you, Carl. Great to be here. Everybody's curious about how things have been pacing uh, since the beginning of April. And sort of the headlines we're seeing are, uh, in some cases, literally wait times as some of these international stores open, but then other indications that even stores that are open in China are seeing subdued traffic. Uh, what's really indicative of the overall trend? I think, you know, the difficult uh, thing is it's really a country by country situation because each country's uh, going through a different level of opening. Each country uh, has a different, uh, you know, kind of consumer psychology. Uh, so I think you're right. You know, in the U.S., uh, for example, we've seen the trends, uh, particularly in the lat- latter half of April, uh, really start to improve. Uh, and we feel good about what we're seeing in the U.S. Uh, Europe, we're just beginning Uh, to open some markets uh, in Europe. As you know, we had four markets, the U.K., Spain, uh, uh, Italy, and France, that were completely closed. We're now just starting to open those. Uh, We are seeing strong demand uh, there. I I think, you know, what helps McDonald's in a situation like this is we're a familiar brand, a known brand. But your point on China, China is still down mid-teens. Part of that is those, those restaurants were fully closed. So when you're fully closed and you open back up, uh, it's a little bit of a slower recovery. Uh, but I, thought, I think also in China, you're still seeing uh, the consumer is hesitant there. So uh, it's really tough to generalize. Uh, lots of different scenarios playing out. One of the other themes that got threaded out of the call was uh, pronounced weakness in breakfast. I'm assuming that's just uh, in a, in a dynamic of, of employment, right? People not on their way to work necessarily. Uh, to what degree is that? being reflected, at least in U.S. comps right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. As, as people are uh, staying at home, uh, you don't see the usual sort of uh, morning routine of stopping in at a McDonald's and getting a cup of coffee and an Egg McMuffin. Uh, so that is impacting uh, our breakfast business. And listen, we, we've been through this before in some sense in that we've closed 10,000 restaurants in the U.S. over the last couple of years as part of our EOTF program, our Experience of the Future program. And then when we reopen those restaurants, um, what we've seen is that breakfast is the day part that takes a little bit longer to come back because, again, those uh, routines have been disrupted. But uh, breakfast is a critically important business for us, uh, and and I'm confident that as we emerge out of this crisis, we're going to get it back to uh, the pre-crisis levels in terms of percent of the mix. It's, it's been a big week of uh, commentary about uh, the food supply chain here in this country. Are you seeing I mean, Tyson with full page ads in The New York Times? Are you seeing impacts mm-hmm. on either uh, bacon or pork or beef or all of the above? Yeah, yeah. So the great thing about our supply chain team, our suppliers, is globally uh, we have not had a single supply chain break. Uh, food, packaging, other materials. We haven't had a single supply chain break throughout this crisis in all 40,000 uh, of our restaurants. That said, uh, the U.S. Uh, situation around meat, uh, actually a North American situation, is concerning. Uh, we are monitoring it literally hour by hour. Uh, right now, we feel like uh, we are in a good position, uh, but there is concern there, and, uh, and it's something that I, I think because we're McDonald's, Um, We have access to all of our suppliers, uh, and we have a special relationship with them, which uh, certainly our expectation is that uh, McDonald's, they will make sure that they do everything they can to to guarantee our supply. Chris, great to see you. Thank you for coming on. It's Jim. Yeah. Hey, Jim. PPP, uh, really a great program when it comes to smaller businesses. And and you have great franchisees. It's always been, to me, uh, the secret behind McDonald's. Are the ones that are hurting, are they going to the program? Yeah, so you're right. We've got an incredible group of franchisees. Most of our franchisees are really small business owners. The average number of restaurants is really a handful that our franchisees have. Uh, Also, uh, our franchisees, it tends to be a family business. It gets handed down from one generation to the next. And so uh, our franchisees, uh, most of the franchisees do qualify for the PPP program. Uh, I know a lot of the franchisees uh, are looking into that program uh, and applying for it. And so uh, I do think that it's a, it's a very good program. The intent of it was really to ensure uh, that the stability of the labor force, uh, if you look at McDonald's, uh, our headcount is basically 
uh, flat to where we were uh, pre-COVID, uh, which again, I think speaks to uh, some of the actions that have been taken with the PP, uh, PPP program. Boom. You, know, you may not realize the running pictures of the Big Mac fries. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, uh, the, one of the things that we're hearing is because of the way that uh, safety has to be and because of what customers want, there's been a wholesale desire to be able to get contactless, uh, desire to have delivery, and also maybe a remake even of stores to make it so that you can do more curbside. Uh, what are the things that you're doing to adapt to the new world of contactless and the way customers need it in the era of COVID? Yeah. No, you're right. There's a lot of changes that we're making operationally. Uh, we first started seeing those in China. Uh, the China uh, team there uh, did a lot of the piloting, early piloting uh, on things like contactless. Uh, that has been something that's been spread uh, globally, uh, not just contactless delivery, but if, if the restaurant's available, available for takeaway uh, to come in and get a contactless takeaway. I think how the, all of this plays out, uh, you're hitting on a really important point, which is uh, how does the consumer want to interact with our brand going forward? You know, we're fortunate in that we have a very high level of, uh, of uh, drive-through, um, but I think you're going to see delivery as a bigger part of the mix going forward. I think digital, particularly mobile order pay and maybe the ability uh, to go to curbside, which we have uh, across most of our major markets, I do think you're going to probably see those uh, grow just uh, as consumers uh, come out of this. And, and there's going to be a change, I think, in terms of how consumers uh, go about their daily lives. And the great thing about our system is we've got a lot of different ways, a lot of different op- op- options, if you will, uh, for customers in terms of how they want to re- interact with us. But, Chris, you know, it's funny you mentioned that drive through delivery, curbside. I mean, that makes sense to everybody. But we've been talking about your own efforts to redesign uh, dine-in, the dine-in experience for several years now with the yep. restaurant of the future. I mean, what does that mean for the long-term implications of dine-in? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, to be clear, dine-in is still going to be, uh, I think, an important part uh, of our business. But the experience of the future uh, investment that we've made, not just in the U.S., but across all of our markets, Uh, That was more than just a dine-in. That was investing in digital. That was investing in things uh, like digital drive-through menu boards. Uh, So there was really a comprehensive investment that we did around experience of the future. What I feel great about is that we've gotten that investment largely behind us. Uh, I think we're in a good position because our restaurant estate globally now is really, I think, been fully modernized. Uh, And so we have a much more flexibility through all these different order points there. Uh, but dine is going to be a significant part of the business still. How significant? I think time will tell. Uh, but I'm glad that we did the investments that we did in the, in the dine-in. Hmm. Uh, $6.5 right, in new debt financing in the quarter. Uh, I guess what, yep. what does liquidity look like at this point? And um, can we, when do we start talking about buybacks resuming, if at all? Yeah. Well, the, we came into this uh, crisis in a really strong position. Our balance sheet was in was in a really good spot. We were triple B plus. Uh, as the crisis hit, uh, out of an abundance of caution, we did want to make sure that we had full flexibility, and so we went out uh, and did debt issuances. Uh, raised, as you noted, another six and a half billion. We have another three billion dollar uh, revolver that we haven't tapped yet. Uh, and so, for us, it's really about making sure that we've got. Uh, flexibility to meet the needs of all of our stakeholders. We need to make sure we meet the needs of our franchisees and ensuring they have liquidity, make sure we're able to keep our people safe, and obviously make sure we're uh, able to fulfill uh, shareholders' expectations. So I feel good about our liquidity, but I think, you know, realistically looking at buybacks, uh, we're a ways away from that. I would expect buybacks are probably not something uh, that we're going to be thinking about uh, for the next year plus, uh, just as we're trying to get a better sense of what uh, the world looks like. Chris, uh, David Faber here. Speaking of sort of spending, you also reduced your CapEx by a billion dollars. Again, why was that yep. sort of the right number? And what investments are you putting off as a result? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so as we looked at uh, 
different ways for us to ensure our liquidity. CapEx is, is one of those areas. Um, we were spending quite a bit uh, in terms of f- finishing off the Experience of the Future remodel program in the U.S. As the crisis hit, uh, I think the prudent thing to do is, is to uh, give our franchisees more opportunity to do those over an extended period of time. So a number of those projects have been pushed off now to 2021. Uh, that represents, I'd say, the bulk of the uh, $1 billion uh, reduction uh, in capital. And then, you know, going forward, we're going to continue with new unit development. Um, there will be a pause in new unit development uh, right now in 2020, but we expect uh, to get back to new unit development in 2021. You know, Chris, it's been interesting. We've seen um, in QSR uh, much smaller players, admittedly, but uh, national brands try to make an effort to diversify into grocery, right? You uh, have a burger kit that you mm-hmm. sell to a direct-to-consumer and you can make your burgers at home. Is that anything we could ever expect from McDonald's? We are focused uh, on being a restaurant company. It's what uh, has hey, really been the earlier, key right? to our business. We do have a grocery business uh, in coffee color uh, around uh, uh, the coffee business, but... Um, I, you should not look for us to do a broader push uh, in terms of getting into the grocery business. We're really focused with our franchisees on, on driving the restaurant experience. Chris, how about plant-based? I mean, come on. It's time has come. I know it's hard to get the franchisees involved. you got that Canadian, uh, 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 you know, it's the experiment. But, wow, I mean, people love this plant. These millennials, they're crazy for it. What are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know this has been a favorite topic of yours, Jim. And uh, I certainly expect that uh, over time that you will see plant-based uh, on the McDonald's menu. Uh, I think for us, the question is really about when. And our system operates best at scale. We don't do hobbies really well. And so when we bring plant-based onto the menu, we need to be confident that there is a sufficient level of demand. Uh, that really uh, will allow it to stick on the menu. And so that's going to be a country-by-country decision. I think there are going to be some countries that are further along on that than others. Uh, But I do expect that that we will have uh, plant-based on the menu. It's just a question of when. Now, Chris, if my vegan daughter were listening, she would say, hobby? How about ethos? When you talk to Ethan Brown, ethos. (laughs) When you talk to Impossible, it's ethos. At what point do we admit that, you know what, this next generation, they're not hobbyists, they're uh, idealists. Yeah. Well, you're right. You know, part of our determination is, is not just uh, sort of what, what we sell, but also uh, what we represent uh, as a brand. I think we're really proud about what we've done uh, around our sustainability commitments as a company. Uh, we've made a significant commitment around carbon reduction, uh, in line with uh, the Paris Treaty, we've done a number of things as well uh, around it, uh, improving uh, packaging. We were the first uh, to get out of styrofoam. So, you know, there's a number of different things that we need to do as part of our commitment to sustainability. But uh, I think I would tell your daughter she can be confident that McDonald's uh, is going to be leading the way in terms of uh, helping us get to a more sustainable future. And again, I think plant based is going to be part of that. The question is just when. Chris, we just had a big discussion uh, with uh, the CEO of Dow uh, and with Jim as well about about employee safety, right, about mask requirements um, for employees and for customers, too. What's going to be standard? I mean, I've seen some crazy restaurant playbooks coming out of Asia where you sign a form before you go in Mm -hmm. and then you get your temperature taken. Um, Thoughts on that and then also thoughts on liability protection. What's what's needed uh, for big business? Right, right. Well, keeping our crews safe uh, is is really mission critical. I mean, you can't run a restaurant if you're not able to keep your crews safe. And so that's, for us, been a huge focus. Uh, we have sourced uh, 120 million masks uh, that are already uh, out in our system. Uh, I think what you're, what you're referencing here is really the fact that uh, the standards around uh, PPE and, and what's going to be expected, it does vary country by country, uh, and it varies even state by state. And so part of what we're trying to do uh, is really ensure that we've got the flexibility. But I think the other thing that we're really doing is we're working with uh, the healthcare experts. We have 
uh, a group of advisors who are working with us uh, to give us recommendations so that, you know, we're not just sort of taking uh, what a government might say, um, but we're also really looking at it through the lens of what do we think is required. I think it's safe to say that there are going to be changes to uh, how we run a restaurant uh, coming out of this to make sure uh, that we're able to provide a safe environment. Some of that's also going to be a function, though, of how quickly do we have antivirals out there? How quickly do we have a vaccine? Um, so it's a really dynamic situation, but uh, it will vary uh, market by market, country by country. Finally, Chris, before we let you go, um, you know, in the old world, yeah. uh, every quarter people paid attention to throughput. Uh, how many customers could you mm-hmm. shovel through a restaurant in a given hour? Service times, obviously a huge yep. metric for an engineering company like your own. How do we think about that number in mm-hmm. the future? I think those metrics are still going to be uh, important metrics for us going forward. You know, for 65 years, uh, McDonald's has been built around serving great tasting food uh, fast uh, at a good value. And I think uh, those elements are, are going to uh, continue to be critically important to our success. The ultimate barometer of really our brand's pull, if you will, or the strength of our brand is just how many people come into our restaurants. And so guest counts, traffic, uh, the traditional metrics that you've talked about, uh, I think those are going to continue to be important. It's obviously right now difficult uh, to really point to those because there's so much noise in the numbers. But I think as we get on the other side of this, uh, those are going to still be important metrics. Chris, we're always grateful for your time. It's good seeing you again. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Take care. We'll see you soon. Uh, Chris Kamchinski of, uh, of McDonald's. Jim, what's on Mad tonight? We've got juniper and we've got a lime, which is tea straightening. And this is in honor of Costco. This is what it's going to be like, people. I hate it. I hate wearing it. My wife actually said, you look so much older in it. It's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. It's necessary. Sorry. And by the way, this is not the uh, Mayo Clinic where it's filled with COVID. This is actually just an office. <laughs> Jim, you've been uh, tweeting photos of yourself with one and now on TV. It's, I came it's, back it's, from it's the our, Super Bowl scared to now. death. I was scared to death about COVID. No one thought of, people thought I was crazy. Scared to death about don't want to wear a mask. Wear a mask. It's okay. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to CNBCMakeIt.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at CNBCMakeIt.com slash courses.